Hello and welcome to episode 15 of The Hard Yards. Today's a unique episode in the journey so far as my guest is on the other side of the world from me currently in Dallas, Texas. However, he's a Brizzy boy and I know he'd be hurting just as much as I am about the Brisbane Broncos as he's a massive fan. We have a few things in common, both love the Broncos, both Brisbane boys, both pro golfers and have both been coached by the same coach, Ian Triggs. Sadly for me, that's where our likeness ends as this guy went on to play the PGA Tour and is still currently playing the PGA Tour, as well as having played in all four majors including top 10 finishes in three of the four. He's a champion on the course, but my experiences with today's guests that have impressed me the most is the great guy is in the locker room and off the course. My great pleasure to welcome to the Hard Yards, Aussie golfing star, John Senden. Welcome, John. Thanks for joining me all the way from Dallas, Texas in the US. Good morning there, Matty. How are you today? Yes, it is morning for me and I guess sort of late afternoon, evening time for you over there. It's almost the end of time, but uh, it's always great to have a chat to you, mate, and uh... And uh, love every minute of it, pal. So, mate, thanks so much for joining me. And, and I mentioned in the uh, in the intro there about playing majors, and you know something I didn't get to do, unfortunately, or not yet. Anyway, let's not call it all all done and dusted. But um, that's right. The three of the four of them you top tend in. I'm interested to chat to you a little bit about the British Open because we have such a great affinity with the British Open in in Australian golf. And it's the one that you haven't top 10 in. How does that nice. sit with you? Or why is it that you feel like, you know, the British Open hasn't really gelled with, with you? Yeah, well, as you know, the, the British Open Championship has such different style golf courses with the Lynx golf, which is always interesting. The elements is always something that, uh, something that comes into play. You know, as, as we grew up in Queensland, the weather's absolutely so perfect. But then when you arrive <laughs> in the British Open Championship, it can be pretty nasty. So anyway, That's the, true. Um, the, weather is, the weather is a big factor over there. Um, I, for some reason, I really enjoy the Lynx golf. It just seems like you have to be much more of a shot makers, yeah. um, you know, player to actually to get through those types of events. Um, You've got to really take charge of the control of your golf ball. But... Um, I don't know. Sometimes when when you play the Australian tournaments and you play the US Tour for a long time, you get so used to conditions, and the conditions on the US Tour don't change much a lot each week in regards to you know fairway widths or green speed yeah, that sort sure. of thing. But then when you jump onto a British Open style golf course, it really sort of you know throws you throws you you know in a different situation. So I believe that. I don't know what it is. It's just I've, I've really enjoyed it pretty much as almost like one of the best majors there is out there. But, um, yeah, the results just haven't quite been there. But um, something that I've really enjoyed over my lifetime to play those events. Yeah. And what would be your favourite What would be your favorite major then? Well, I believe the British Open is one of the, the best majors that they play. Why? Because... They play on different golf courses every yeah. single year. It's, yeah. it's a similar style most years, but um, it's so refreshing when you go and play, say, Turnberry, then you turn up to St Andrews or um, Muirfield in Scotland. I mean, all these places are all sort of sort of similar style, but they're also unique in their different ways. Yeah. Um, St Andrews is probably one of the most favourite ones I've ever played. I played 2010 and 2015 and it was still some of the most enjoyable golf I've ever played. It's the old course of St Andrews. It's historic. You know, teeing off the first tee in front of the old clubhouse was something that's, you know, you'll never forget in your life. Correct. And then putting on, putting on the 18th green is just something that's like amazing. And, um, you know, it, it is so, you know, you can't build those golf courses anymore, really. They're just all so old and so unique and uh, such a different style atmosphere. Um, you know, you could tee off at 6.30 in the morning and have beautiful clear skies or really horrendous weather. And then by the time 2 o'clock comes around, it could be the complete opposite. So mm. the draw draw can be very much effective on that event. And yeah, sure. I think that, uh, you know, it's just an amazing um, just feeling being, you know, playing British Open golf or even any of those Scottish golf courses on the Lynx courses, it's a, it's a true challenge. And, uh, well, I just, I just seem to really enjoy that. I think it absolutely uh, invigorates the soul of a golfer, like the true, 
the true links, you know, Scottish heritage of where golf began. And, you know, there's something right. special about arriving in Scotland to, to play some yeah. golf. And, yeah, and exactly certainly right. St Andrews amazed me and that the first time I played it, I thought, what on earth is that bunker over there for? You know, that just seems yeah. like a waste of space. But then you play right. it the next day and the wind's in the other direction. And you're thinking, how come I miss that bunker over there? <laughs> it's like the first and the 18th hole of St Andrews when you think of the, the, the fairway is like, 145 yards wide, and you think, well, hang on a minute, I'm not, no way I can miss this fairway. But you get up there with a sideways wind off the left, and then you're worried about the little white fence on the right, you know? Yes. So yes, you it, are. Becomes a, it becomes a true challenge, especially with the elements, especially with the weather. And uh, most of those golf courses are reasonably short, and they're, um, you know, they're, they're, they play nicely when the weather's great, like most courses around the world. But when the weather comes in, it's a true challenge. Yeah. And those bunkers, the bunkers in Scotland, I feel like are just the most penal things on earth. You know, you just yeah. have to avoid them at all costs. Too right. And I remember, I remember we played the, um, the 2006 uh, British Open at Hoylake and it was, there wasn't a green piece of grass on that, that golf course. That, <laughs> week. that had the most dry summer that, that when we first rolled in there. And uh, it was just amazing how you just had to, you were using irons off the tee all week just because you just had to plot it down there because there was like so much yeah. run on the golf course. And, but if you did go in the bunkers, it was a shot penalty. You had to come yeah. out sideways. They were just, you could not reach any of the greens if you went into the bunkers at all. And luckily to get up and down on the green side ones. So it was an amazing challenge. And I guess that's why you were mentioning earlier that it's, it's so you know, coming from the US where it looks to be a lot more lush and target orientated golf where your ball flies to here and sticks and then you fly to here and it sticks a bit like Velcro. Um, You know, that must be challenging going from the US into a place where all of a sudden your forearms running 60, 70 yards. Yeah, exactly right. Because, you know, well, the John Deere classic has been always predominantly the, the week before the British Open Championship. And when we turn up to the John Deere Classic, it is a, it's, a, um, it's generally played in extreme heat and there's a lot of humidity and the greens are really soft. And, uh, yeah, right. And the conditions of the golf course are fantastic, but it's real target golf. And then once you leave the John Deere Classic, you, you roll straight into Scotland or England to play the British Open Championship. And it's like, it's like playing from your... From your garden bed out the back here down to the to the hardwood table in the kitchen table, right? So <laughs> it becomes a di- different, uh, completely different animal. And you just got to really take the first couple of days just to adapt, not only to the time zone but also to the to the style of the bounciness around the golf course. So, um, but again, it's each particular event that I have played on the for the British Open Championship have been always very different uh, from being extremely green. Uh, to dry as it was just something that is really extreme golf. Yeah, I love it. I love it. It's awesome. I think I could keep chatting about the majors and and talking more about British Open for the rest of the day, but uh, there's something I want to touch base with you on, John, and and just open the floor to you to discuss, and that's the challenges that came your way 2017 uh, when you found out that your young son Jacob had a brain tumor and. And what that meant for you guys as a family and, and for Jacob and, and the journey. Yeah, yeah, no, look, it's, um, you know, it's been sort of like a, a sort of a long three years, really. Um, yeah. But, but you know, what we've come out of it, we've come out of it at this end, uh, you know, like yourself has come out of it pretty good so far. I think yeah. Jacob, has, Jacob has done really well. And, you know, through the support of every single person that surrounds us, including family, friends, Australia, even the people locally here, the, the medics, the oncology, it's been, it's been incredible. So yeah. um, really it's, it's something that, um, you know, life-changing, as you know. And uh, it could have been, you know, similar to say to yourself. It's, it's a traumatic situation, but um, again, it's, we knew it was life or death at that yeah. time because... You know, because Jackie was more on the ball than I was because I was out playing. And we knew there was a few little instances, you know, back in like the timing of, say, December uh, 2016 when we were actually in Australia and I was 
obviously playing at home. I think we were down the Gold Coast playing. Australian Open was in Sydney and uh, at the time I was down there playing, but Jackie was relaying messages of, you know, little sort of episodes of yeah, right. um, headaches and discomfort. Uh, and I think in that, you know, it used to come and go and then she'd already been seeing the paediatrician about it over here a bit. Um, even the doctor in Australia, we saw him for a few checkups and that sort of thing. We were home, not as we do, as per usual. But uh, these episodes just got a little bit more, um, you know, aggressive. And mm. what happened was, was we were only playing over at there. My sister's house was over at McDowell. And that, he had a long old day in the pool, um, just messing around with the cousins. And then that night we got home uh, and he just got really really antsy, really sort of tired and really going around saying, Mum, my head's about to explode. Wow. He's probably dehydrated. He's, he's had a crazy day. And <clears throat> anyway, so he, we gave him sort of some Panadol or some Motrin or something to put him to sleep. And then the next day he just woke up great. You know what I mean? Like yeah. as if it was just a little episode, right? Yeah, right. Anyway, so... Um, as and then we thought, well, Christmas was at that time, and then everything was great. And then we left for the well, left to go back to the US on early January. And there was one other small incident, the same sort of thing happened when I was on the West Coast plane, mm. uh, back at that time, which was at the beginning of 17. And he really was in a spot where he was just, you know, the same sort of thing. And then Jackie took him back to the pediatrician. Now, uh, the pediatrician was sort of running around saying, Hey, this is just a bit of a migraine-style issue. Um, we've seen it before with other kids. Well, let's just sort of put it at that. And Jake says, oh, okay. And then so after even a couple of times happened throughout January, February, uh, by the time March come around, it was just happening more often. So she just said, look, let's get to the bottom of this. I'm just not really going to leave this office here with the pediatrician until I get to the bottom of it. And, you know, the paediatrician was kind of really just brushing it off, basically. And then, and then Jackie said to me on the phone, I said, I'm going to go get Jacob a, uh, you know, a PET scan or, a, you know, a, a, basically a, just a regular PET scan from an outside agency. Yeah. And anyway, so when she got that done, it just, the, the actual, the scan come back and it just lit up like a Christmas tree. Yeah. It was just... Uh, a little, it was like a ping pong ball right in the middle of his of his head, and it was sort of blocking fluid that was going that was built up on the top of his head, and it wasn't getting past the brain stem and coming and being absorbed by the body. And at, you know, I was actually down. It was that timing. It was it was April, and we were down, and I was down in San Antonio playing the Texas Open. And then uh, by the time Sunday came around, I was just. She said, "Look, you got to get home." And then. When I got home, we were in hospital that night. And that's basically when it all started, Maddie. It was just like in the ambulance up to the, up to the children's emergency and um, saying, we've got to do something with this kid. Anyway, so the doctors even in the medical centre couldn't quite work it out um, until we got that scan through, which mm. was sent somehow to the hospital. And then all of a sudden we were down and um, we went from the, from the medical centre, which was sort of like 20 miles north of the city, and then we went to another facility, which was in the basically two miles out of the out of the city area. And he was, um, you know, talking to the to the oncology team down there straight away. So in all sorts of bother. Um, and then he had basically had emergency surgery the next day. Um, wow! So that quick. Straight on, wow. straight on the table. Yeah. Once you knew, once but, you knew it was quick. Yeah. So once, so Jacob's got a scar on his head about possibly. Uh, probably about an inch long um, on the top left-hand side of his... And they had to go in, you know, get this fluid out of the brain because that's what's stopping. That's where the pain is. So yeah, right. he really went in there and, um, you know, had that first emergency surgery. That took that, that was just like the longest day ever of our lives because we're waiting in the waiting room outside and we're I just wondering imagine. whether Jacob's ever going to come out of there. I mean, because what they had to do was they had to basically put a little stint in to get past the, yeah. past the uh, you know, the... The, the base the, the tumor area and then let the fluid bypass back down and actually withdraw some fluid out of the out of the top of the head so and once we once he came out of that the first day um, 
all pressure was gone again. Uh, and then he really just, uh, he sort of felt not great that he was up in the bed and he was talking and he was fine again. And then they had to go, once that happened, um, so that little stint that's in there is actually permanent. He's actually got it yeah, in there right. forever. So anyway, so that was in there. They cleared away all the sort of the, the pocket of fluid that was built up. And then after that was completed, the next day they had to go back into the same area again and get a biopsy of this tumour to work out exactly what was going on for the, um, you know, what, what exactly to give the treatment for, you know, sure. the chemotherapy and then the radiation. So... Um, to cut a long story short, how was how very- was how was Jacob in that moment when you know he's being told, okay, you got to go back in again? Well, he was he was incredibly calm about it. You know, he yeah. was really not quite. He was thirteen years of age, and he was not quite really getting what the fuss was. He knew he was in pain. He knew he was going through a pretty serious situation, but then uh, uh, he was really. Um, you know, communicating very well and, you know, calm about the situation. He thought that, okay, we're sort of trying to tell him, you know, be calm about it, you know, we're going to get through this. And, uh, I mean, from where he was two days earlier, was serious discomfort and worried about his, you know, getting through it all. Uh, He was in a much better place, even though he'd just gone through two major surgeries. And um, and so once they got the second surgery done the next day, which each surgery was like five or six hours long, right? The guys are in there just full team. They're in there, the neurosurgeon, all the people, and they come out and it says, okay, we know what it is. Uh, we're going to go in there. We're going to give him chemotherapy. We're going to give him radiation. It's going to be six rounds of chemotherapy, and he's going to have full radiation after that. So um, so chemotherapy took uh, about four months right through. Yeah, he was on... He was on uh, three days a week and then they had like three weeks off and then back in for five days and then that happened six times, six rounds of that. And for some reason, they come out and they've obviously, I know it was a rare tumour, but it was like this little ball that was in there and it was really basically just, you know, they knew exactly what to do with it. It was just like a, they're so much, so smart, these medical guys. They yeah, just they knew are. exactly. The chemotherapy was just put straight in. Um, and that was like, that was sort of like putting him through hell. It was yeah. just crazy. How do, he just, that as a, how do you deal with that as parents, you and Jackie, John? <laughs> yeah, we were, um, well, what, from where we were before we went into hospital, we were extremely worried about his health. Um, we knew that as soon as this, as soon as a doctor come in and says there's a, there's a mass in, in, in the brain, we thought, wow, you know, this is just, we were so upset. Yeah. We were I'm sort of like just listening to this. God. Thinking the worst. Thinking the yeah. worst. It was, you do, don't you? Yeah, it was sort of like, you know, it was like as if we've been over here, we've been over here 15 years and mm. it's been having Mr. Beat, right? And... Mm. And it was like we're enjoying our lives. It was great. You know, sort of had been playing pretty good, you know, most years. Every year was exempt and then completely just sort of like lost the, lost the feeling for it all, the golf and just yeah. we've, got to get, we've got to get the family that right. became you know insignificant. Mean? Tools were down. Yeah. Didn't see the clubs for like eight months. You know what I mean? It was just Amazing. sort of like let's get, let's get Jacob back in order, right? So anyway, so we had to... Um, really take charge and just feel as if we were trying to get uh, Jacob healthy again. We were in and out of the hospital and we were side by side with each other and uh, we were trying to get Jacob, you know, just just healthy again. And it was a, it was a long, long six months of chemotherapy. And then, Brutal. but you know what? He, he was so amazing through it. He mm. just fought through it, you know, to put, put chemotherapy, um, you know, medicine through the body. It's just, it's just, uh, I can't explain how ordinary that could make a body feel. You know what I mean? There's all different strains of chemotherapy, but what he had to deal with was just like, um, you know, his immune system just bottomed out. It was just crazy. He absolutely just couldn't even get up. You know what I mean? Once he got back home, he's... So what happened was you get the three, three days in, get the chemotherapy, then you go home for three weeks. And so the immune system just bottomed straight out. 
and then you get, the body's got to recover enough to get the next round. Mm. And that happened, that happened six times and it took about uh, probably four months doing that. And That's horrible. So, look, I we, guess you're just right. looking at the light at the end of the tunnel in, in that, you know, that this is going to make you better. Yeah. So, you know, the, the oncology team were pretty confident at the, at the beginning. They're thinking, well, you know, we've seen this, we've got this. It's rare, it's malignant, it's dangerous, yes, but um, we think we can come up with a product that can actually get him to come good again. And you know what? The... Um, so we saw as the chemotherapy went through, they kept on with the up with the MRIs and that just really, you know, it improved. It slowly come back in. It was like just getting smaller and smaller slowly and uh, um, it was doing the right thing, you know. Yeah. And, and an educated guess with medics it was just something that really could, it was just mind-blowing how they could just yeah. get a kid back up, get a kid back up on their feet. And, uh, you know, with the power of sort of, being positive and the, um, you know, the family surroundings. I had, you know, Jackie's mum and dad over here. Her sisters were over here. We had my, my, my um, sister and, um, and the cousins were over and all just sort of giving us 100% mm. support. It was amazing. And, uh, you know, everyone dropped their tools and said, look, just, you know, you've got to get over here and just. It's incredible, isn't it, John? I think that, yeah. that love and that love and, um, you know, you just, it's it's quite humbling, isn't it? You know, when you when you're the the team that needs the help, and you know you've obviously yeah. probably been someone who's been willing to help out um, other people over the years as well. But you know, I found that with yeah. my accident, it was incredibly humbling. All the support that you you gain yes. from people all around all around the world, and I think golf's golf's an amazing part of that, isn't it? You know, the family yeah. that you created over right. 15, 20 years on tour. You know, the support yes. you would have you know, I know you gathered support from the golfing fraternity as well. And it's, yeah, it's oh, humbling, isn't it? Yeah, it is. You know, the, especially the guys, especially from the people at home, you know, like, I, yeah. um, you know, you remember we did that date for Chris and McCord out there at Capera. Yeah. And I mean, like for someone who's your best friend and, and uh, to have him go through a life threatening situation himself. And then for me to get on the phone and tell him that my son's got it, yeah, it was, like it was just the, the hardest phone call. And he just said, look, he goes, I know what you did for me and I know you did the same yeah. for your own son. And that was just sort of like something that um, with, with, with the support from family and the friends, the PGA Tour, the PGA Tour of Australia, everybody reached out. Mm. It was just so amazing the support that we got, we got from every single person that we know. Yeah, and that's awesome. what gets you through, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, I mean, when we sort of, you know, like you've been through something right now, even though it could have been just ridiculously yeah. crazy, but, you know, you come out the other end of it sort of, hey, you know what, you're still, I'm still talking to you, right? But I mean, yeah. oh, but great. I mean, it's sort of, it's, it can, it can be life-threatening as it was with Jacob and um, yeah. it certainly changed our lives and uh, made us realise that it's, life can be turned up upside down in a heartbeat. Yeah. And yeah. It really, it's just something that, um, you know, we feel very grateful for the support that's just helped us get through to us to, at, to this point. And uh, um, it's quite uh, it's quite humbling. And you know, you just think to yourself, well, hey, hitting a little white golf ball is not not so hard anymore when you're trying to go <laughs> when you're going, trying to go through that thing. And it's of, not so um, bad, is it? It's not so bad when you're not quite playing that that well. You know, it's not the end of the world. How's exactly. Jacob? How's Jacob doing now? So you know, we should have got to that point where he was starting to make some improvement. Yes, yes, he has. Um, you know, he's come through leaps and bounds. Really, he's now. You know, it's been three years since the um, initial surgeries, and um, his last lot of of, um, of treatment was radiation, and that happened. That, that finished up at the end of November seventeen. Okay. So. Um, so since then, he really has um, just tried to really just get stronger, and yeah. um, it's a little few little things have hurt him. You know what I mean? Like he's knocked his knocked his height a little bit. He's knocked his um, sure. you know confidence in uh, strength wise. He's sort of he needs a little bit of needs to now just try and get a little bit of help with a bit of medicine to try and help his growth pattern. Um, Is that from the drugs? Been, Is that from the chemo and stuff? Yeah, especially chemotherapy has sort of like yeah. knocked the. Um, not the height 
off him a little bit. But that's, you know, that's not really a, a, a huge issue, but it's still something that he's a little bit concerned of. Yeah. Um, he has uh, now sort of, you know, thinking that, hey, you know what, I'm in a good position. I'm still enjoying my life. He's got everything to look yeah. forward to in life. But then again, we've still got to go through all these sort of MRIs still. Yeah. Um, it was three monthlies and now they've actually stretched it out to um, six monthlies. So great. And now if, if we look at MRIs at the beginning of where he was, the tumor was like a size of a ping pong ball in there. And now it's down to now it's down to a little size of like a little bit of scar tissue now. So it's really yeah. shrunk down a lot. And he's in a good position for that. So the oncology team tell us that we just need to keep watching out, keep MRIing and um, and just look for any indifferences in his in his behavior or exactly. his mental health or exactly yeah so really he's you know at at the time before he got sick he was playing a bit of touch football what they call flag football over here um, yeah. he was doing um, he was pretty busy at school and that sort of thing but now he's really can just play golf um, he, he's right into his music and uh, awesome. and he's you know he's enjoying his friends at school and. Um, and of course, with all this other crazy stuff going on in the world now, with no school and online stuff, it's like they're about to go back uh, in about okay. another week and a half, two weeks. So we're looking forward to him going back to school and reuniting with his friends again, and uh, and trying to, you know, get back to normal life, which is which will be good for his mental health as well. You know, being with his friends. Yeah, so, absolutely. I think it's so important, and and I think that's great for you guys too. To see him yeah. you know, taking that next step again, and you know, they're just they're just steps in the process, aren't they? And in what's been a pretty tough, uh, as you said, a pretty tough few years, exempt on the tour, all the way through to that. And um, yeah. you know, so where do you, where does that, you know, you're back playing golf now. Where does it where does it sort of put you as far as um, you know those sorts of things? Because obviously you came back playing under a medical exemption um, due to a family. Exactly situation and then you sort of have changed categories since then as well where where are you at now john with regards to the pga tour and and what is it looking like at the moment for you yeah because when i stopped playing um what happens on the pga tour is <clears throat> when you get a medical extension uh from a, say a family crisis which is like a regular um being hurt basically yeah. um what they did is they over the last five years before i stopped playing they took an average of the total number of events that I played, which was 25 a year. And then they, at the time when Jacob was sick and I stopped playing, I had already played 12 events on the tour. And so what they did is they took that average and gave me the back end of that average. So they gave me 13 uh, starts as medical starts, which was still on the full exempt category. Um, so that went right through until uh, the, I think it was like the, probably nearly towards the end of, I started playing again on the end of 2018. So, and then I went right through to the middle of 19. So what happened was um, I wasn't playing any good. You know I mean? Yeah. Trying to get back into it and just sort of, you know, thought that I was ready, but I really wasn't ready. So um, not I ready was, physically, not ready mentally to sort of go away and leave the family again and... Yeah, a little bit of both, Maddie. I think because I was, I was, I was sort of, you know, practicing well, but because I was out of out of the game for probably, I reckon, fifteen months, I hadn't played a tournament. Uh, yeah. I really was, uh, I wasn't tournament ready. You know what I mean? I was playing decent. I was shooting whether right around par or something. But these guys out there now are just shooting red hot scores, right? So. I think that, and that goes with all tours around the world, it doesn't matter whether you play PGA Tour or Australian yeah. Tour or wherever. They're all great, and you've got to just be playing great, not just good. Anyway, yeah. so what happened was, uh, I just, I was just sort of like, just sloppy mental errors, really, and that was yeah. from just from lack of play, and um, so really, I lost my status basically. And um, so what I did have up my sleeve was. At the beginning, at the end of last year, I had what they call a, um, there was this particular exemption from making over 300 cuts on tour. Yep. And, and what it did was I, I took up that exemption and I played, uh, I, I took up that exemption and I went and 
I got put in the corn fairy category. So what happens is, is I was actually going to be probably receiving between 15 and 20 starts from the, in the corn fairy category. That's probably worst case scenario. So, um, so that was from August last year right through until March this year. And then the COVID COVID nineteen come around, and then everyone stopped playing again. So, yeah. so, so what's happened now is now that we're back playing, I've already played four events again. Um, the tour has made the decision that there's going to be no qualifying tournaments. There's going to be no no promotional stuff going forward to next year. So, guys that were playing Corn Ferry Tour, they were they cannot, you know, um, promote to the next tour. Oh, okay. So, like, yeah. So, what happens was is now my particular category that was supposed to be for twelve months is now carried over to two years. So, Perfect. you know. So basically, if you're on, you stay on, and if you're off, they do two years. It's really it's really bizarre. So all these guys that are playing fantastic on the Corn Ferry Tour are ready to go forward to the PGA Tour. They can't. So they got to play a two year round system to get onto the PGA Tour. So. Uh, it's really frustrating for some, but it's been an advantage to others. So, yeah, sure. um, so even though so you've got are... twenty, you've got twenty twenty one season in your current category. So you'll get a bunch of starts over this twenty twenty one season. Exactly. So I'll stay in the Perfect. category that I'm in, and I will probably get uh, you know between fifteen and twenty again next year. So um, I'll be in that, be playing. Again, in the October, November times yep. uh, with the start at the start of the 21, 2021 season. Yep. And then all I've got to do is just, you know, go out there and hopefully play great on the, in, the, in the fall series, they call it. And, you know, then if I do that, if everything runs smoothly next year with the number of events, again, um, if I re-rank OK, I'll play between 20 and 25. Yeah, sure. Um, so that means that, uh, you know, I'll be still playing a fair bit and that's why I still feel keen about playing yeah. because there is there is light in the tunnel you know so yeah. um, even though that my results haven't been great so far I've played four events at the start of the season I've missed all four cuts but you know that's been pretty close in regards to making the cuts but I haven't really sort of again sort of really fired um, and it's been frustrating a little bit but I feel like I'm sort of heading in the right direction sort of both mentally and physically with my game. Um, and what I'm trying to do is really get in a position that I can actually make the 2021 season count. Um, yeah. There's only, there's only one event left, which is the Wyndham Championship next week. And then uh, there's the playoffs and then we start again. So I've got some time to sort of like really get stuck into it and uh, really try and focus and and just increase that belief to go and, go and play well again. Um, and there's no reason not to, Maddie. It's like, I just, I just need to go out there and just do my work and keep on refining mentally, really, yeah. rather than uh, physically, uh, because my body feels good. Um, I've been going, ticking along. There's nothing wrong with my swing. It's just about preparing properly and doing the correct work mentally, and um, you know, getting competition rounds in, really. So, and moving, moving forward from that. So, and also. I'm the lucky 5-0 in April next year. So, yeah. um, you know, there's really, there's sort of like two tools next year, really, that I can yeah. play. Um, but my real focus is to play PGA Tour sure. and stay out there and play because if I just sort of like lay down now, I might as well stop playing and, and wait till I turn 50 again. But again, it's like as if, if I just lay down now and wait to 50, well, then you're not going to be competitive. So no. I really want to be... I really want to be focusing on what I need to do and, and at least play for as long as I want. You know what I mean? I have to feel good enough to it. So if I have that focus, hopefully we can, um, you know, get out there and do it. I see lots of guys playing well on the senior tour. I see lots of guys playing well on, um, you know, the PGA tour. So um, the, the young generation is definitely taking over on the, on the PGA tour. There's, the guys are just like tremendous athletes out there now and they're just really really <clears throat> hitting it a long way and they're, and they're just playing great. And it's great to see. But, mm. um, you know, it's, I've got to really work hard to try and keep up with that. So, and it's, you know, not that I can't, but it's about really putting in some hard yards now to, to try and get it done. How, interesting comment you just made, 
you know, you've got to work really hard to try and keep up with that. Meaning, you know, these these young superstars out there who are you know hitting the ball astronomical distances. Does that become a a part of you know the the team of John Sendon, which I know you know you've got you know Michael Dalglish and and Trigzy and all the team working together with you. Um, is that become something that is a is an actual focus, or is it just about producing? you know, your best, which we know is clearly good enough. So if you're hitting your ball as good as you can hit it off the tee and into the greens, you're going to be giving yourself an incredible amount of opportunities. You've always been right up there in greens and regulation stats and and yeah. all the rest of it, John. So is it about chasing more yardage, you know, because there's a lot of young guys coming through that I'm coaching who are, who are all wanting to hit it further, wanting to hit it further, wanting to hit it further. But is it is it about right. that for you or, you know, how do you attack trying to, match the young guns on tour at the moment uh that's a really good question because i think that i think that in the back of your mind you'd love to you'd love to hit it as long as those guys but i know that i can't you know i know that i know that i'm competitive at you know 294 295 yards off the tee which is still quite long enough but these guys are all hitting at 300 305 now that doesn't seem like a lot but it's like a big difference when it becomes a consistent length throughout a whole season. And um, I've been, you know, talking to Michael Dalgleish and Trigzy and even Chris McCourt, we talk a lot over yeah. the phone. Obviously, we can't travel together. So there's a lot of video chat. There's a lot of swings get sent back and forth. And, you know, Trigzy always gives me the, the ideas of, you know, my swing is good and my swing is good enough. There's been a few little things that slip in here and there which which sort of like hurts maybe my flow of my swing or the, um, you know, the ability to actually move is good. So what we've got to try and do, Trigsy's been very good at saying, let's accept what we've got because what we've got is good enough. And because the body doesn't quite work as well as it did when I was 35 or younger, and then when I look at my videos that I've had from previous years, say from when I was 40 or when I was 35 or even younger, um, you know, there's a lot more flow to my swing than there is now. And that's just almost like degenerative change in the body. And you just yeah. got to accept that and be able to play. Um, you look at the guys that are sort of like doing really well in, the, in their older ages, um, they just seem to manage really well. And that goes from being accepting what you got, doing the work mentally, preparing as good as you can and go and play. Um, yeah. And if you're doing 100% in all those areas, um, physically, mentally, uh, off the course and looking after yourself, well, you, you, you can't do anything more, Matty. It's like it's, no, that's right. you're, you're, if you're going to get steamrolled doing that, well, you're just going to get steamrolled. <laughs> or you're going to get, if you're going to be good enough to do it, well, you will be good enough to do it. So it's about trying to get out there and do the job the best you can and be the best player you can be. And if you can stand there and say you can give 100% on everything, well, I think you've, you know, you can, at the end of the road, you can say, hey, look, I did what I did and it was, was well worth it because, you know, looking at back now and looking even forward, I mean, the journey has been incredible. And, uh, but it's about just sort of keeping up with the work and doing it and keep, keep communicating with your team. Like my team is my family, um, the support and, you know, on the ground is, is Michael, Doug Leash and Trigsy and, you know, Chris and McCall. We all play, we all talk, we all talk about how things happen and why this, why that. Uh, you know, it's really is an incredible team that I have and it's been there since day one. Yeah. And, you know what I mean? And why, I don't want to change anything. I just want to keep refining and, and keep moving forward and trying to think that I'm a better player tomorrow than I was yesterday. So um, that sometimes feels like hard work, but it's, you know, the, that's when the belief comes in. So yeah, sure. and that's what I've got to improve more as we go along. When I watch, say, other sports play, it's sort of like, you know, you watch Olympic games, you'll watch, you know, rugby league or you watch, um, you know, cricket. These guys at the top end are just mentally stronger than others and that's what that's where the different li difference lies so um you know take a feather out of their cap and and move forward yeah absolutely i think it's it would be fascinating to ask you this question about when you first arrived on tour and you know your team that you've had together all this time and 
the John Sendon wet behind the ears, 2001. He's out on tour. He's got through PGA Tour Q School versus yeah. John Sendon right now and how you prepare and, and what's different. Well, I think the I think this the the maturity and with the experience that you get on tour. Like I remember back at Q School, it was sort of a situation where um, where I were in Australia and I entered for the Q School in America because I was already had three years under my belt in uh, in Europe. So I sort of felt well, you know what? I've had plenty of time to to deal with some big name players in Europe and mm. and because my whole goal was to get to the US tour and play and win on a tour, right? So I thought that, um, and look, if you rewind the clock even before that, when I was an apprentice at Capera, um, working in the shop, I said, to, I said, because Trigsy was the pro, I was under his guidance, and I said to Trigsy, hey, Trigsy, look, I want to go out there and, and play the US tour. And, says, and he goes, well, I said, well, how are you going to get there? And I says, well, he's, and then I asked him that question. He says, well, Okay, we're going to try and gain experience. At, the, at that time, I had no money, so I ended up playing Tropo, and then we played Asian Tour throughout the '90s, and then ended up getting enough money together to go to the European Tour School and get on there. So we ended up having four years' experience at the at the Q School. Uh, sorry, at the European Tour, and then that gave me enough money to go to, to the qualifying in America. But Trixie said to me as an apprentice when I was 20 years of age, I said, and that was back. That was 1990. He goes, let's set the goal. Let's set the goal to make the US tour by the year 2000, right? Okay. And I said, you got to, I said, you've got to be joking me. Yeah, I said, I, got to get, I want to get there before then, right? <laughs> he, goes, okay, well, he goes, okay, well, that's, it is what it is. Let's try and beat it, right? So anyway, so because, you know, you're an apprentice, you've got no money and yeah. out there and start playing and then all of a sudden you're sort of thinking to myself, well, it's harder than I think to try and get to the top. So... Anyway, we ended up... Because, uh, John, the, 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 the thing that people don't realise, I think, you know, for the non-golfers who are listening into this chat, uh, what people don't realise is that at every level, the talent is unbelievable. Yes, every level. Right. Every level. So even when you're out on Tropo, guys are still shooting seven, eight, nine under pars, you know, to, yeah, exactly. in a single-day pro-am. Just as competitive, absolutely yeah. right. And you learn from that competitive. And the biggest thing I learned playing, playing Tropo, and everyone thinks it's sort of like is a pro-am circuit, right? But you learn about travel. You learn about yourself. It's like right. living out of the car. You get the billets. You get the little hotels. It's like it's being away from your, your comfort zone of being, in, you know, at home in Brisbane. And mm. uh, it really becomes a sort of a, you know, a learning circle that has put me in such a good spot when I was yeah. about to go away and then start playing the Asian tour again because all of a sudden you go from Australia to the Asian circuit and that's just sort of like jumping in the deep end again. <laughs> and and then when you're sort of like, because um, when you play in Asia, then most of the, the countries speak English, which is great, but um, you're all together as a group. There was lots of Australian players, lots of American players playing the tour. And then when you went to Europe, all of a sudden the language is completely different, right? So, yeah. and then it's tough then as well. So, um, it really, it really puts you in a um, a spot where you sort of it's it's a it's a difficult situation. And that experience that I've gained, the reason why we are here today, and also going back to where we were before, is like when Triggsy said the year two thousand, he said, "Well, okay, well let's see if we can get there." Now I went to the Q School in two thousand and one, and when I got onto the when I got through that, I really only missed the mark by two years. So. Yeah. Um, and always, we always talk about that with him, with, with Trigsy saying that, you know what, it was like a great plan that worked out. Yeah. And, um, and Trigsy's been there as, you know, my, you know really um, my only coach and number one coach that I've ever had. So it's been fantastic. So, um, you know, it's just something that has been a great journey and a great uh, friendship that we've had. Um, and that's really something that's got gone forward a lot. What about you mentioned before you'd played in Europe and you, you know, had experience playing with some big names. So when you arrive in the U S and you, you know, you play with those big names for the first time, you were prepared for it. It still took a bit of getting used to. Big time. Yeah. So the first year on the first year on the U S tour was probably my most nervous year that I've ever had. 
yeah, because right. because it was like I was putting everything on the line because I was still exempt in Europe when I left Europe. Yeah. Um, giving up my exemption in Europe to play a full season on the US tour because when I when I actually went through Q school, I ended up ended up um, you know getting inside the top twenty five, and then then after like eight events, there's a re rank. So I re ranked really well. So I actually was going to get between uh, twenty five and thirty starts on the on the first year. So it almost gave me a green light to play nearly all the events outside the outside the majors really so saying that uh it gave me a great opportunity to sort of you know really you really get going on the tour and i got off to a pretty good start on the as my first uh six events and then really struggled in the middle in the summertime over here and i'm thinking oh my goodness i'm going to be losing everything here because i'm going to be i have no europe left and then i'm going to be done so yeah, we ended wow. up scraping so you're going through that in your and, brain and then trying to go out yeah. on the course and play Exactly, exactly. So <laughs> Trixie made a couple of trips over the US as well that year and we'd really tried hard to sort of, you know, settle the nerves and, and build the belief back up again to sort sure. of thinking that hey, this is where I should be, this is where I want to be. And I was really just sort of, instead of believing, I was trying way too hard to try and get it done. And, um, and that was something that was, was tough. So we ended up I ended up running, I think it was like 114th on the list and 125 get through, right? So, so then after the, so the first couple of years were a real battle, 2002 and 2003. And then from that point on, it started to get a little easier. So did you find that you were maybe not playing the golf course in front of you so much, but you were, you know, thinking about who's, who else is playing and who I've got to beat this week to, you know, stay in front of them on the money list and things like that, yeah. rather than just, okay, it's a par four, John, where do I need to hit it in the fairway? Yeah. Yeah. There was a lot of, see what happens, you know, the U S tour is like any other tour. Um, European tour had a lot of, a lot of distractions in regards to sort of like, whether it's manufacturers or managers or, or lots of activity that on the, on the Monday, Tuesday and the Wednesdays before we play lots of, lots of crowd, lots of people, um, and then, and then the U.S. tour was just like you know tenfold of that again because there was just a huge <laughs> amount of people and it was just a different, totally different atmosphere compared to what we were used to. Yeah. So the, when we were first when we first arrived, you know, Tiger Woods was red hot. So it was a great time to arrive on the U.S. tour because the excitement was just amazing with with Tiger on the scene and uh, and other great players. That was just it was the who's who really of on those early years now it's sort of like um as tiger sort of went through his his great era through you know 2000 right through to probably 2009 uh, we were right in the middle of it right yeah. so it was sort of yeah the u.s tour was, was, was amazing through those years and it is still today obviously but um you know the whole thing the whole thing with tiger was really um watching the world's best i mean he was um he was incredible and uh having that experience to be around him and actually play with him a couple of times was something that was really, really amazing. And you learn a lot. You gain a lot of experience really quickly. And, uh, and then just dealing with the guys that were around the locker room or even on the golf course practicing and even being drawn with the guys playing most weeks was something that really gains your confidence and puts you really in a spot where you, are feeling uncomfortable and then you've got to really make sure you feel um, comfortable at being uncomfortable. Right. If you know what I mean, yeah. it's about yeah. playing at the, playing at the highest level. And, uh, and I sort of felt like those situations with the PGA tour really put you in that and, and made you, made you have to be strong to get through all those times. So, and, um, and when you come through those times and you perform great, it was the, it was the best feelings. Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean, and it sort of it sort of give it give me uh, you know what we have today. Really, it's just amazing. So, um, PJ Tour has just been incredible for me, really, and um, and it's still going on. So we, but it's a different dynamic now, as you know, with the younger guys, younger generations taking over. It was the, you know, when I was on first on tour, I was twenty nine years of age, and you know, it was all the guys felt like they're all older than me. Yeah. And they were the best players in the world. Yeah. You know, the, the American guys were great. Now all the guys are all younger than me. 
And, uh, you know, they're sort of like it feels like there's just a bunch of youngsters out there, which are all still very, very good. Um, and they're amazing players and they're so different and so more driven in regards to their fitness or their, uh, the way that it really is a, uh, um, a different kind of feeling out on the PGA Tour now. So um, we have to really just, you know, keep on working as hard as we can to try and, to try and uh, stay out here. And, uh, you know, life feels different, you know, with, especially with what's happened in our life. And yeah, now sure. still still playing the game of golf, um, yeah. where uh, you know still still living the dream. Yeah, oh mate, you are. There's no so, doubt about it. So the, it's quite. Uh, I was just going to say the the advice that comes out of that. What I picked up for the young, the young players in any code in any sport is that if you can get yourself in and around great players and see where you're at, you know, and find out how good they are and how far away you are from their level. Yeah. You know, there's a couple of factors. I think with that, there is, I think the team that surrounds you is important. Yep. And also the players that you want to play with that you think, uh, you know, are very good that will help you. you know, whether you hang around someone like good putters or you hang around someone with good ball strikers or, or someone with a great mental attitude to help you along and gain experience. And, and saying that as well, <clears throat> you put all that combination in with a lot of competition, um, see if you can get yourself on a major tour as quickly as you can. Mm. I think that's something that is really important. Um, it's, it's becoming more and more difficult to get on major tours now with so many more golfers trying to play golf and play the tours. Uh, it's a, uh, the, the window gets smaller and smaller. And, I believe that if you've got the correct guys that help you out, whether it's physically, mentally, and your swing coach, um, you really have to believe in those people that surround you to be able to get out there and do the best, be the best you can be. Um, and then, as I said before, just just try and play competition as much as you can. It might be it might be somewhere local down the road, but just play, just but get in a competition mode, have something to play for, and. I believe that that is just going to help you put yourself in that mode that can help you under pressure. Uh, and I think that's the difference with players is to make sure you try and feel the heat when you play because that's going to really work yourself out where you are mentally and uh, try and get, you know, the best out of your game. So I've been lucky for that. You know, I've had all those avenues, all those people that surrounded me, including my family, um, you know, Jackie's been number one. She's been right there from the start, and mum and dad just, you know, start set me up to Capera to, to, um, to play golf, right? Yeah. And then, uh, and then when I met Trigsy out of Capera as a junior, he just took us all under our wing as a you know junior golfers, and um, and kept us playing, kept us in the game, and that's why we're, you know, not everyone hangs about, but some guys do. And if you love the game, I think you can really, you know, it's. He made us love the game because it was, was, was so many juniors at Capera that they were all fantastic. We had so much fun. Yeah. Um, we, just, uh, we just loved every minute of it and couldn't get, wait to get back out there. And, yeah, absolutely. And that team so is so important, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You can't do it. The game seems like it's just too difficult on your own. You really need the good people that surround you. As I said before, it becomes... It's, you know, it's just there's so many variables in golf yeah. that, that, make it, that make it just so difficult. I mean, it comes from just from the bounce of the ball, for one, to, yeah. you know, to meeting the right people in life that can help you along and give you the yeah. support. Um, and I can't say that, you know, every single department of that for me, I've been so lucky. And yeah. with the, you know, with people, with mum and dad, uh, with, with my wife Jackie and even Jacob now and, um, you know, Trigsy and all my friends that support me. It's you know, it's the reason why we're here today. Yeah, that's no, awesome. And you've had one amazing career, and and certainly um, not over yet, my friend. You've got plenty of golf to play. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, that's the goal, Maddie. And we're trying to sort of keep it moving. And um, you know, I want to play golf as good as I can for as long as I long as I can with my body and. Um, and I've, I'm allowed to do that with support behind me. And, uh, 
and just to keep on going out there and, and playing the tour and having still having light at the end of the tunnel with the, the tour exemptions and uh, you know uh, maybe you know the senior tour coming up, which is a great opportunity in America. I've got I can actually I can actually get straight on the tour with my you know the exemptions and everything. Um, and you know, it really is it really is something that I'm looking forward to as well because I want to make the next uh, at least make the next five years count. So yeah. and then uh, yeah, awesome. and then maybe come one day come home and sit on the beach at the Sunshine Coast. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that'd be okay too, wouldn't it? Hey? So <laughs> coming up, come home and annoy you. <laughs> yeah. Oh mate, you'd never annoy me, that's for sure. You know that. Um, yeah. I'd happily play golf with you on a regular basis, my friend. Um, Johnny, just on coming home to Australia, you've always come home and supported the Aussie tour over all the yeah. years you've been playing in the, in the U S and it seems, it seems like maybe you can elaborate on this, but it always seems like you come home and play pretty well. Um, obviously you've won an Australian open and you've always been up there and I know we play the Aussie Masters final round together in 2015, where you ran second. Yeah. Um, and I choked at the yeah. end. Um, <laughs> but um, <laughs> I bogeyed four of the last five holes to finish sixth, so that wasn't great. But um, but you know, you've always seemed to play well. Does it feel easier when you get to Australia at the end of the year than the PGA Tour? Oh, I think so. I think that's a that's a huge important issue you talk about when you gain the experience playing the PGA Tour and even in Europe, um, Europe was good I wasn't playing fantastic in Europe but then the early days, especially the years between 2003 2004 right through to the uh, to now I sort of always felt like you know I could win at home, I probably didn't have that belief before I went to Europe uh, and because you gain experience and, and have 30 events or 25 events under your belt before yeah, you sure. roll into the tour, you feel a lot more uh, tournament hardened for it. And uh, and then when I when I, I remember coming home at the end of um, 2005, and we were down there playing the Australian Open at Moon Links, and I think uh, I think Robert Allenby won the event that year. I ended up running second, and I really thought that after that particular tournament, I had a chance to thinking that I could, you know, win an event at home. And then, and then as I had obviously had a really good year, breakout year in 06, and I won the deer and winning the John Deere gave me that experience yeah, to actually stretch a lot better in the 2006 at Royal Sydney. So saying, saying, you know, you sort of feel better when you come home to Australia, the, I've always believed that those years that we played in the Australian tour events, I felt that there was probably... 15 to 20 guys to beat, really, yeah. when you come home. So you knew that I was playing well and I thought that, you know what, just go ahead and just go out there and do your thing and just come, mm. and come home and try and play your best golf. And you feel comfortable when you're at home because you yeah, sort of you, you feel good because you've actually got, you've had some really good experience playing the US Tour and that's the difference. Mm. Um, you know, the, the I don't believe that the, the Australian Tour was very, it wasn't, wasn't sort of like a, a low events, but it's national open, and you always get excited to play in the Australian Open oh, yeah. and, and the Australian PGA Championship. Even though they were a little bit more low key, they were still great, great events being run really well by the Australian Tour and the yep. and all the promoters back in Australia. So um, those events really gave me a lot of confidence as well to go back and join yeah, the sure. tour again. The other way around too. as well. So, yeah, because you go home and play well, and all of a sudden you think, "Wow, you know, I'm ready to go again for yeah. you know the, be the beginning of the next season in the US Tour." So, um, saying that, it was something that I always felt more confident, you know, playing the Australian Tour in those years than I did even playing the US Tour. So, um, yeah, so it was an interesting time to going back home and playing because it's always great playing in Australian soil because it's you know your home course, you know them. Fair bit. You had enough experience playing through those throughout the '90s, and then when you get, you know, you feel like your game's improving. Well, you just, uh, you just feel so good just walking around the, the Australian Tour. You know, it's just always yeah. been like that. So, yeah, no. the way always, it is. Uh, yeah, no, it's always been great having, you know, the the big 
well, we call them the big names from the PGA Tour in the US come and play in Australia. And I know as a as a young guy myself trying to make it, well, I'm not that young, but, um, you know, trying to play on the Aussie Tour when you guys came home to play, it just, it was the same experience, I guess, for you in the US on the PGA Tour when you get to play with those big names. You'd, you'd always be hoping that you'd play well Thursday, Friday of an Australian Open right. and get paired with, you know, with one of our big Aussie stars and, you know, um, and get to play with those guys over the weekend because you sure. then get, we then got to see how our game stacked up with someone like yourself, who's played on the PGA tour for, you know, 20 years or close to it. And, um, and, you know, made an incredible yeah. amount of cuts and incredibly high percentage. And, you know, you're a renowned great ball striker and, and so to be able to put yourself in the same group as someone like that, it was always fantastic. So, but thanks for coming back all these years and um, supporting the Aussie Tour. And I know you, you love doing it, so not a chore at all. But, yeah, um, yeah it's all yeah. Really awesome to Look, Manny, I'm not, yeah, I'm not sure what's going to happen this year. with the, I know the Australian Open's back maybe in February, but I'm not sure whether they're going to link up uh, the Australian PGA in that spot as well. I just don't haven't heard anything from the tours yet, but they've still got the date ready to go in December. Mm. Um, it's, it's always going to be difficult to get the best players in the world playing because of the restrictions in Australia right now. Yeah. And it's so difficult. I mean, it's so difficult even just to get home. We, we, we can't get home. You've got to quarantine in a hotel for two weeks. I mean, that's just sure. really some crazy stuff there. And um, Australia's doing all the right things to try and stop the coronavirus. But, um, you know, the US, tour, US seems to be sort of to get all the sporting events back on running. But... You know, I'm not sure what's happening over here, but um, that puts a bit of a dent in the, the Australian schedule because of the factors of you can't go home and sit in a hotel for two weeks or try and play a major event in Australia. It's not difficult. No, and um, unless they can sort of like, unless they can sort of come up with some, something like, hey, as soon as we hit the ground, we get tested. And if we're clear, we can play. You know what I mean? Yeah. If you're not, you don't play. So I'm not sure whether that might be something that might be able to happen in February. Uh, I, don't, I don't know, Matty. So, and again, as I said to you before, like if the Australian tournaments are on and we're able to play, I'll be there. Yeah. And, it, and you're right. It's just an evolving process and it's a day by day. It's a week by week here in Australia. And, you know, certainly Melbourne yeah. shut down heavily overnight. You may not have heard that, but... Um, Victoria's, you know, gone to stage four and, you know, it's incredible lockdown down south. So, yeah, we just can um, purely just go week by week and see what happens. So, mate, um, yeah, let's hope there's some golf at some stage at the back end of the year or early in the new year and, and we get to see Johnny Sinden back on home soil. Mate, thanks so much for your time. I've got one more question for you, uh, which I ask everybody who comes on the show. This trivia? <laughs> yeah, well, it's not a bit of trivia. It's a, it's a, it's a question that is: if you could be any sports star, past or present, and live in their shoes for one day and live a day in their life, who would it be? Uh, that's a really good question. I think if it comes to say, say football, I mean, we grew up as young kids. Wally Lewis is one of the. One of our favourites, he was a Queensland Maroon, as you know, and uh, and he was just like, as you all, we all know, he was the Emperor of Lang Park, right? So, the king. you know, you're the king, of the, the king of the football Queensland team, right? So, um, it would have been great to be able to be in his shoes and just be able to think that how good he was, you know, when he was playing yeah. the game at the highest level and uh, and someone who was remembered and revered as, as someone as such a great athlete and great footballer and... Um, you know, was he was an amazing star, and as that's who that's who I knew growing up as uh, one of the legends of the game, and uh, and never, we'll never forget him. No, that's right. I mean, I think if you could be him on that Origin night where he ran on that diagonal run to the corner, and you remember the try, and then he gets up with the fist pump like this right in the corner. Absolutely. At well, at Lang Park it was then, not Suncorp, but. Um, yeah, that would have been a pretty cool night to be Wally Lewis, I'm sure. So that's a good one, mate. It's nice to uh, have somebody not say Tiger Woods because um, there's plenty of people who'd love to be uh, have lived a day in the, the shoes of Tiger Woods. Well, John, thanks so much, mate. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the hard yards and uh, I've always enjoyed catching up with you. 
back in Australia on tour or in, in and around Brisbane whenever we've caught up. And I certainly wish you all the very best uh, with your golf for the rest of this year and then into the 2021 season. Hopefully we catch you in Australia for some golf at the back end of the year or early next year in our summer. But um, certainly wish you all the very best, mate. And, and of course, our best wishes continue to go to Jacob as he continues on his road to recovery. Um, it's an amazing story. And thanks so much for sharing some of those intimate details with us today. Um, and certainly passing our best to young Jacob and tell him I've got a nice scar that I can match with his scar <laughs> on his head now as well. So, mate, thanks so much and um, wishing you all the very, very best. Thanks, Maddie. Thanks for having me on the hard yards today. And um, and when Jacob and yourself get together again, when we see each other, you'll be able to match up each other's scar on the top of the head now. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Look, he's been through a lot more than I have. But um, yeah, certainly hope he continues to get bigger and stronger and um, and continues to, to walk in the footsteps of his dad. So um, yeah, mate, all the very best to all of you. And I look forward to catching up with you back in Brizzy. Thanks, Maddie. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, buddy.